most consumers aren't expecting or trying to get some magical bargain. They just want to get a fair enough deal and they want to feel good about the deal they got and feeling good about the deal they got. 80% of that is just simply understanding why they got the deal they got. What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast, which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. Let's get into today's episode. Jason Trevison is CEO at CarGurus, an online car shopping and automotive research website. In this conversation, we discussed how CarGurus is evolving under Jason's leadership, Amazon's potential threat to car dealers, cracking down on fake online car prices, why he's hiring former car dealers to work at CarGurus, why he acquired a company called Car Offer, and much more. But before we get into the show, this episode is brought to you by CarNow. CarNow is the industry leader in automotive messaging and digital retailing solutions. CarNow's powerful platform creates transparency and trust between customers and dealers by providing seamless dealer management and enhanced communication tools for shoppers. New dealer partners who sign up before the end of the year can get 60 days of free service on any of CarNow's messaging and digital retailing solutions. 60 days. This is a big deal as CarNow partners are experiencing an impressive 77% average chat to lead conversion rate and a substantial return on their investment. Don't miss out. See how CarNow can make an impact at your dealership by visiting carnow.com slash CDG or visiting the link in the show notes below. That's carnow.com slash CDG. This episode is also brought to you by CDK Global. CDK Global has been empowering nearly 15,000 dealers with the tools and technology they need to build deeper relationships with customers. Their team is keenly aware of the state of dealership technology, and while many vendors promise seamless experiences between your CRM, DMS, digital retail, and fixed ops, most of these bolt-on solutions tend to break workflows and cause more harm than good. That is why CDK has launched a new dealership experience platform. This new integrated software consists of everything you need to operate a dealership efficiently while delivering an unparalleled experience to your customers. Basically, everything working together, not separate, one system to run your dealership as opposed to 10. CDK developed it with an outside-in approach, listening to dealers every step of the way. You can learn more about CDK's dealership experience platform by visiting cdkglobal.com DXP or clicking the link in the show notes below. What I was drawn to when I learned more about Carter's back in 2015 was that technology had not had the profound impact on the automotive industry that it had on a lot of other industries yet. I think there's a number of reasons for that, but the the size of the purchase, the local nature of the business. And so joining a technology company in automotive at that time, I saw what I thought was a huge transformation opportunity still yet to happen that had happened in a lot of other industries. And I also love marketplaces. I had invested in a couple internet marketplaces and or soft marketplace software in my prior life as an investor. And when you can find win-wins in a marketplace, they just become really good, strong businesses that add a lot of value. And so the fact that auto had a tech opportunity and CarGurus was a marketplace model was sort of a perfect storm for me. Do you feel like since you, since you joined car gurus until now, do you feel like the tech has really made a big difference in the consumer experience? Or do you feel like it's been a lot of hype and every year going to the automotive, the NADA conference, digital retail, digital retail, and like not not much has changed kind of where are you in that spectrum of the evolution of truly getting to like an online car buying experience? Well, I, yes. I mean, to your first question, yeah. Technology has really changed, I think, the consumer experience of car shopping and buying. I remember during our IPO roadshow in 2017, we used a statistic then that in 2000, I think it was 2012, the average consumer visited about five dealerships before making a purchase. And by 2017, it was 1.8 dealerships or something like that. And now it's even less than that. And that's because consumers are using the web to gather so much more information to research, compare, contrast. And so that was, you know, call it 2012 to 2020. I think since then, the next step has been, well, how do we move parts of that transaction online? And in the consumer's mind, that manifests itself in, I can do a lot more online, go to the dealership still, because the vast majority still want to go to the dealership, but I'll spend an hour or two hours there instead of five hours there. 
So you're you're an online marketplace, right? And you just said something very important. So you think that the vast majority of consumers still want to go to a physical dealership to purchase the car? Well, the data, yes, the data supports that. I mean, that when you ask consumers, 80% say they want to do more online. So almost everybody wants to do more online. And then, you know, about half of consumers say they're open to buying fully online. But just the numbers today or, you know, this year will show that those who actually do buy fully online is still single digits percent. So what they're saying they want is different than what the behavior is. And I think the behavior, you know, I think the percent portion who want to buy, who will buy fully online, that's going to grow. But I don't think that becomes 80%, you know, in the next five years. We, we believe that's going to be 15, 20%. I want to shift gears for one second. So you mentioned taking over as CEO after the founder. I can't, I can't speak for the company. What I can say for myself is just, first of all, I think being the CEO, I'm a first time CEO. And so being the CEO of any company is a huge responsibility. And one that, that honestly, I don't think the gravity of it hit me right away, but it's a responsibility to the employees, to our customers, to our shareholders. And so it's a significant commitment for any CEO, regardless of who they're taking over from. As I'd worked with Langley for five years before we made this move. And so we had a, a really good working relationship. In my prior life, I was an investor. We I was focused on growth buyouts of technology companies. And so I'd had the privilege to work alongside and with entrepreneurs who had built successful businesses. And I saw the transitions oftentimes that they went through. So I'd seen a similar transition, you know, half a dozen times at least. And Langley's still active. He's still on the board and, and I still spend time with him on a regular basis. I mean, what I'm trying to do now in, in my role here is, is continue to strike the balance of like keeping the positives of an entrepreneurial, innovative startup company that continues to break ground and bring new things to the market. But with the realities of being a billion dollar public company that has you know almost 10x the employees it did when I joined. And so that's got more complexity to it. It also has significantly more opportunity. And it's it's part things that need to be built and put in place for scalability, coupled with a nimbleness that needs to remain in place for innovation. Yeah, I think one thing we'll get into shortly is just looking through kind of the history of the company. I did some, you know, I did some research, obviously part of the call, and I know enough, but you've been acquisitive, which I think is interesting because I feel like founders, and I'm not speaking for Langley, by the way, but I, when, I, when I think of founders, founders are founders. They're not usually very acquisitive. There's exceptions, of course, but you have been. It sort of makes sense to me, given your background. You know, you come from the financial world. You sort of seek just opportunity, maybe in non-traditional ways or just not, we don't have to build it, right? We can buy it. So we'll get into that. I'm really curious about car offer. I want to table set on the business. For anyone list, that's listening that, and I'm sure there's people listening here that are public market investors and gurus. I'm sure there's people that have maybe shopped on gurus, car gurus, of course, by buying a car. And then I'm sure there's some people that are actually not too familiar with it. So can you just like table set to explain to us the, the core business model? What is car guru? What is car gurus and what do you actually do? So at our core, we are a listings marketplace. And so what that means is, and we have a freemium model, which is really important because honestly, that's what I think distinguished us initially and still does today. So a marketplace with a freemium model means that we will take inventory from any dealer, as many dealers as want to put their inventory on our site for free or whether they pay us. And we will provide information on that inventory and on those dealers for car shoppers. And by having a freemium approach, We've been able to amass the largest inventory of any marketplace, the, the largest number of dealers. And we've also, during that time, built up the largest consumer audience, the most unique, the most sessions, the most time spent, the most engaged. What are the, so, some of those numbers if you have readily available? Yeah, we have uh, about 40% more total visits than our next competitor. We have about 30% more minutes on site per unique than the next competitor. From an engagement perspective, consumers are three times more likely to use our site last before buying a site. 
purse before buying a car. So we're the last site they use before buying. And, and, and that's all a function of certainly we have a good traffic acquisition engine, but we believe that's a, that's a function of we offer a great product. And that great product is the most inventory with the most information on the inventory delivered and sorted and organized in a way that's most helpful to consumers. Got it. So you think that the, the what drives you at the core is is the product and the consumer experience? Yes, we are a. I think of our product as our best asset. The, you know, this is built by our people, obviously. But and so, so our core business is that dealers can subscribe to that. And if a dealer subscribes to that, then they have they get a number of benefits that a free dealer would. And so some of those benefits are they get unlimited leads and higher quality leads and connections. They get access to tools and insights that they otherwise wouldn't. They get features that help them convert those leads better. And so our value prop to bring a dealer on for a listings package is we're going to typically give you, and every dealer is different, but we're going to typically give you the, the most volume of leads, the highest quality, based on our pricing, the best ROI. And then we're going to give you tools and insights that help you market and sell your cars better than you otherwise could. Yeah. And when you launched, I guess it was before you, I'm going to guess, but when you guys came out with the, the freemium model, was that novel in the industry, getting dealers on for free, right? Almost like getting them hooked and then they pay up for maybe more services. Was that novel before that? Was it always pay to play before that? Yes, it was always pay to play before that. So this was totally, totally disruptive. And we were also the first, and we, we really pride ourselves on all the things that we've been first in. We were also the first to give certain transparency to consumers, like time on site, number of price drops, but also what ultimately culminates in the most valuable asset we offer, which is an unbiased deal rating, which says, effectively used cars are hard to know it's hard to, for a consumer to know how a used car should be priced so we do that ai work for them and say based on all other cars most similar to this and their pricing this car with these features with this trim with this mileage is priced at a great deal from a great dealer and that that declaration that we make and we're we're not shy to say cars are overpriced if we think they're overpriced is of significant value to the consumer. So how do you balance, how do you balance, and by the way, I think I'm in a very similar position and I'll explain in a second, but how do you balance where the dealer is your customer, but the consumer is almost like the user and you want to deliver an optimal consumer experience. You want to, of course, make your customer, the dealer happy. How are you balancing that? And one quick thing I'll add before you answer that is that I feel like I'm in a similar position where on one hand, I talk to the dealer community, the B2B community. On the other hand, I talk to the consumer community. So I have my own thoughts. I'm not you. I don't run CarGuru. So I'm curious to hear how, how you're handling that internally. Yeah. And I, I, I almost brought up that parallel earlier when, when you and I were chatting, because I do think we think of ourselves as a, a market-making platform that tries to find mutually beneficial solutions. And so the short answer is we do that because we don't view it all as a zero-sum game. And a more pointed example is if we give a consumer more information on a car and the consumer reaches out to that dealer to inquire about that car, they're just simply more likely to convert to a sale because they're not reaching out to ask a question that they didn't know the answer to. So by giving more transparency and by giving more information, we're actually helping bring consumers further and further down the funnel. So by the time they get to the dealer, it's much higher yield for the dealer. And the dealer's not answering questions like, how long have I had this car on the lot? And did I drop the price? So your claim is a quicker path to the sale for the dealer, save me time, make me more money, right? That's, that's essentially the value proposition. Yep. All right. So I think one of the most important questions I wanted to ask you is, I, I posted for dealers to send me questions. I got a bunch of questions, some small dealers, some big dealers. And I think what has really irked dealers across third-party marketplaces in general in recent years is 
as the industry has gotten more competitive, everyone who isn't on the internet nowadays, of course, it's it's A's and B's of running any business, is just people gaming the system, right? And there's been plenty of uh, dealers that have tried to kind of get a leg up on other dealers by putting, oh, this car is 20000 and then there's an addendum, we add $3,000, we add $2,000. So I think what lots of people want to know from you is, what are what are you going to do about that? Or what are you doing about it? Because it's definitely something that is happening and it just harms other dealers. And, and it, it's actually a self-perpetuating kind of death spiral because then other dealers are like, well, they're doing it. I should do it as well. I have no choice. I mean, I need to survive. So what do you, how do you think about that? Have you done anything about that? Yeah, we think about that a lot and we have, have done a lot and will continue to because you're right, it does happen and there's no silver bullet, but we do a lot. So we have, we, we call it a data integrity team, but we have an entire team dedicated to tracking down instances of that, responding to claims of that, and doing the investigative work and research to figure out if that's happening. And if we find out that that's happening, those dealers get removed from our site. So, so you're removing you're removing dealers that are doing this. Oh yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, but we, I mean, we don't catch a hundred percent of it. Don't get me wrong, but but no, we have we have a team that finds as much as they can and removes dealers. We have increasingly we're using AI and technology measures in addition to the people that we have on that team, which is early days on that, but. With other third-party data sources, we're able to start applying technology to see if there are different pricing schemes going on. We also have our dealer rating, and that's a you know good old-fashioned feedback loop of consumers saying one out of five stars because when I showed up, they tried to force me into this three thousand dollar you know added fee that you just described, and that's a pretty powerful thing. And and, and dealers know that a poor dealer rating on our site has a lot of implications and, and sort of cost associated with it. So, and the last thing I'd say too, is as a public company, we have to think about trying to seek out and eliminate fraud on so many dimensions for SOX compliance and things like that, that we have gotten much better in the last five years at overall security and fraud prevention in dozens of forms. This is one that we've actually been doing since we were private, but we've dialed up the the investment in it since. That's helpful. I think, you know, and I think it's refreshing. I think dealers will appreciate that. On the topic of just the marketplace, I wanted to ask you about like Google vehicle listing ads, right? So for anyone here that's listening that doesn't even know what that means, if you go on Google, you search some car, year, make, model, right? You'll see some actual ads natively on Google. These It's what we call vehicle listing ads. How do you sort of hedge hedge against that when Google's sort of trying to front run a lot of marketplaces by listing vehicles right there? Well, it's a it's a playbook that Google has used for a decade or so in a number of other verticals. So it's it's not necessarily a surprise to me. And we we knew that they were working on auto for a while now. So Google is certainly a source of audience for us, both paid CM as well as organic. And when they launched VLA, the vehicle listing ads, we were a beta user. And so we embraced it early on and have that channel has grown significantly in the past year for us. It performs really well from an efficiency and quality standpoint. And by quality, I mean the we can use third party to actually track conversion to sale by channel. So without access to the dealer's DMS, we use third-party triangulation to say, well, we know, for instance, that audience that we source from channel A converts to sale better than audience from channel B. So I would say short answer is VLA is now a third leg of the stool for us with Google in addition to the traditional paid search as well as organic. And when you say third leg, you're saying it's driving traffic to you? It's driving traffic to... Yeah, to the to the effectively the SR, you know, the 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 vehicle unit that is showed there. If the user chooses to come to our site to get that information for it, as opposed to going to the dealer site direct. Do you think there's any more risk in Google 
raising the bids. I mean, I, I obviously it's a bid, so it's it's competitive. But do you think there's any more risk in that than say consumers going to chat GPT in five years and searching that way? Right? Like how how do you sort of fit into the puzzle and how do you think about your business fitting into that puzzle? Or or I mean this kind of ties even with my next question, which is like, are you diversifying away from that to hedge that risk? Right. Because I do know you have some digital retailing and stuff like that, which we can get into as well. I'm trying to think though, if I'm in your shoes, I see Chad GBT rising, consumer, consumer attention gravitating there. I find myself even searching things on Chad GPT that I would I, a year ago I would search on Google. So then how do and then how do you kind of and with it, when you look at that entire puzzle, how do you sort of fit in that as things continue evolving and consumer attention sort of goes left and right? What we do see Google doing is using up more of the page for their own content. And so at a minimum, that pushes down uh, organic search results for, for everyone. So we certainly see that. And yes, we have put a lot of effort in over the years to diversify. I mean, we think about diversification in a lot of different ways, our revenue diversification, partner diversification, supplier. Uh, but certainly in traffic acquisition, diversity is, is important to us. And as an example of that, we are, we're always testing new channels to try to diversify more. And ChatGPT is a perfect example of that where we were the first US marketplace to launch a ChatGPT plugin that allows shoppers to use conversational search to shop for their next car. And so, and then it, and then it, so the example is, you know, I'm a 33 year old father of two children, and this is the type of automobile I think I want. What would you recommend? And then it provides the make model trim recommendations, and then it links directly to one of our SRPs. We're also piloting conversational search tools on our sites that are not dissimilar from chat GPT using generative AI and, and allowing search to get enhanced from it. So yeah, we think about acquiring customers from more rather than less sources. We try to stay ahead of the curve where we can, knowing that the volume's not there today, but if the volume's going to be there tomorrow, we want to be ahead. We also, though, look at it all through the lens of quality, not quantity. And that's a really important thing because we there are some sources where we could build a much, much bigger audience for much less money, but it would be lower quality leads that we're passing on to the dealers. And that's not, that's the opposite of what we want to do. So it's not just about efficiency. You've had some kind of, you've had some ventures into digital retailing experience, other things, I mean, scheduling, test drive, just a bunch of features that you've sort of launched over the last couple of years. What, what is your thought process there? Like, how do you sort of envision car gurus evolving? And what's that customer experience going to be like buying a car and leveraging your platform? What is, what is that going to look like? Yeah, so, uh, and I was I was going to take us back here when you asked me to talk about the business, because the the big decision that we made a few years ago was that being just simply a lead generation marketplace was not a viable long-term strategy for a business because consumers were saying, and they're now showing, they just want to do more and more online. And I think dealers are, are embracing that as well because they're able to be more efficient with smaller sales forces, perhaps that can be more productive. So we said we want to move into supporting the transaction. And that means a, a bunch of things. It in in three you know broad buckets. It means it could mean supporting a retail transaction, supporting a, a trade in or instant cash offer, and then supporting wholesale transactions. And so we made the decision to basically build or acquire all three of those transaction capabilities to sort of put them on top of our marketplace so that consumers could not only shop and for a car, but they could also get financed. They could buy a car and they could sell a car. And the dealers could not only market their cars on our site, but eventually they could source cars through our platform, market their cars, and sell their cars. So what it looks like if, you, if we focus on, let's say, retail, a retail transaction, the bulk of the market today, the consumer market, wants to do more of the transaction online, but not buy fully online. So we built a product that allows a consumer to pick and choose what they want to do on our site that is fully in the dealer's 
infrastructure and ecosystem. Uh, and that could mean getting a trade-in estimate or getting fully financed from one of the dealer's financing partners. It could be putting down a deposit, could be constructing a penny-perfect deal. It could be setting up an appointment and let the consumer choose that. And then when they walk into the dealership, which they all do through this product, it's called Digital Deal, then the dealership has a pretty baked deal and a, con- and a consumer that converts it multiples what a normal lead would convert. Yeah, I was going to say, th- does that infringe on a dealer's profits? Like as a dealer, are you happy? I get No, 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 no. It's, it, I mean, dealers, uh, what we've heard so far is dealers love it because they then know that when one of these digital deal leads comes in, they are still able to do everything they would have done before. In fact, you could argue they get two bites at the apple. They get the opportunity to have marketed some financing to the consumer on our site, and then they can you know, market additional financing or warranty or any F&I to them in the dealership. And those leads converted up to 5X. And so, no, it, yeah, it, you know, again, with an ROI focus to kind of how we approach dealers, that's, it's a great return. We have lots of consumers that listen to this as well. So I think while we're on this topic, why is CarGurus a great option for consumers from your perspective? What do you think you offer? Or is this, is it, is it what you just mentioned? Is that uh, sort of the secret sauce? But what, what do you think it is? Yeah, I, I would say if I was talking to my cousin at Thanksgiving, let's say, I would say we are the site that has the most inventory from the most dealers. And so if you, if you want selection, then come to our site. We offer the most information on those cars and on those dealers. And we sort it in the way that is most helpful to you. And we also allow you to do most of the elements of the transaction on our site if you'd like. And if not, you don't have to use any of it. Your cousin, your cousin's buying a car this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, uh, I didn't see my cousin at, at Thanksgiving. But if I had, that's what I would uh, Yeah, this, that would be the answer. Your cousin probably has no idea what you're doing. He's right. like, oh, he works he, in some car company. Yeah, he stopped listening. At, at Well, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, I love it. I want to ask you about car offer. One, one question before we get there. You're in, you're in near Boston or? Our offices are in Canada. Yeah. Boston. Are you recruiting? Do you recruit Ivy League? I'm going to assume you some. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We're, we're, we have a lot of colleges here. What's the value proposition for them? Right? Like, how do they view it? Do they view it similar to you? Like, are they like, oh, massive addressable market? Let's go disrupt. Or what is that kind of pitch? I'm just curious, like what, what gets gravitates people to the company, especially in auto. I had uh, Barb Edson, the CMO from CDK on the podcast a couple, couple weeks ago or a month ago. And she said similar, similar things. She came from outside of the industry and asked her, I was like, Barb, like why car business? And she gave actually a similar answer to you said, hey, big industry sort of felt like it was behind technologically coming in. So I'm curious how you're, how you're sort of attracting that talent or like what's the, what's the value prop for them? Yeah, it's a, it's a number of things. And we are near a number of great schools. And Boston is actually a really strong tech hub of some mid-sized pre-IPO, a bunch of newly public, and that you know companies like Amazon and Facebook and Microsoft have really big presences here. The value prop is, it used to be that we were doing, quote, cool tech things related to search in the automotive industry, but it was really, we're, we're, we're a search company. Now, I think it's elevated to car buying process is still tougher than most people think it should be. And what we're trying to do, as I mentioned in our my platform statement of help consumers shop, finance, buy, and sell, what we're trying to do is actually solve a pain point that many people, dealers and consumers alike, agree is a more complicated transaction than it feels it needs to be. And so if you look at our mission and our vision, our mission is we help people reach their destination. And that could be our employees or our consumers or our dealers building a business. Our, our vision is we want to be the number one digital destination where consumers and dealers can buy and sell cars with the most convenient selection and trust. And we believe we're well positioned to do that. And if you, if you envision that, then we're actually doing something that can be pretty profound for, for consumers and for dealers and for the whole industry. So 
We are a technology company, but interestingly, the fastest growing background of hires that we've hired this year was the dealer community. Wow. I didn't expect that. Tell, tell me more. Why is that? Because a big push that I've had since becoming CEO is to be more customer centric. And that means to both dealers and consumers. And I think our early day roots were more oriented toward consumer because of the reasons I mentioned. It was paid inclusion ecosystem before us, and we tried to make it more consumer friendly. And so we had and continue to have a great focus on the consumer. We did not have as much DNA from the dealer segment, number one. And then number two, as we're developing a lot more capabilities that will help dealers, like what I didn't, what I haven't mentioned yet is when a dealer subscribes for our listings package, we give them all sorts of insights and data and intelligence on the retail market that help them with pricing and merchandising and market trends and sourcing trends. And so as we got more broad there, we needed to understand the dealers better to understand what they want and what they need. And so when we have a salesperson come to us who had worked in a dealership for five years and they can help us understand the pain points better than better than almost anyone. 100%. Yeah, I think the worst thing as a dealer is a vendor that is just doesn't doesn't speak your language. You know, it's, I, I guess any business, but it's it is very frustrating because the the business is you know it's retail business and there's a lot of intricacies. Every dealership you know is somewhat different in their processes as well and how. So I think I mean it makes sense, right? You want to bring that competency and and I think it's really important also to speak the language of the dealer, right? Like I think that's a really, I think that's another reason why. Yeah, again, I'm I'm, I'm relating to my experiences, but why like a lot of dealers send me just info. I don't ask for it, but they send it over because I feel like they trust that, you know, I speak their language and I understand. And I think, I think that means a lot. So I think, I think it's a smart move. Yeah. And I think, thank, thank you. I, I think we, the last, you know, few feature, like major features that we've introduced or pro- even products we've introduced have come from dealers asking us. What products? Yeah. So one of, one of them is, it's called Next Best Deal Rating. So it's a weekly email that we send to to any dealer customers that ask for it that tell them the lowest amount of do- of money they would need to drop any of their units for in order to get it to the next best deal rating on Cargurus and and in doing so generate more leads for that car and in some cases it could be if you drop that car $14 you're going to go from a good deal to a great deal and you're going to get a lot more traffic on it. So so that's that's one that dealers asked us for and we delivered. Another one helps dealers understand their their relative share of leads in their market. And so if a dealer knows that they have 3% of the total used units in a in a DMA and yet they're only getting 2% of leads, then that's an eye-opening data point for them and then we help them understand how they can merchandise better to get their fair share. And then the last one's top dealer offer, which is a major product innovation for us that we just announced a few weeks ago that that allows dealers to show an offer to purchase a consumer's car and have the consumer bring it to their dealership. So it's it's a complement to our instant max cash offer. Tell me about car offer, right? So car offer, if you can just table set what that is for anyone that doesn't know, but of course, you know, you bought 51% of the company several years back. You recently purchased the remaining 49%. You know, why did you buy this company? Did you overpay? Did you underpay? Why did you just purchase the rest of it? G- give us all the juice. All the juice. Okay. So what car offer is, <laughs> is that's, a, that's a big question and a lot of juice. Uh, what right, car good. offer is, is it's a digital wholesale platform. It's different from most, if not all other digital wholesale platforms in so much as it does not follow a traditional auction model, but instead it uses what's called an instant trade platform that they innovated and built themselves. And what an instant trade matrix does is it automates dealer to dealer and consumer to dealer transactions uh, nationwide effectively. And so it uses its technology to allow a dealer to say programmatically, 
These are the types of cars I would like to buy. This is how many I would like to buy. These are the prices I'm willing to pay for them. And when you find them, I can either, you know, have a model where I approve each one or a model where they just, the transaction transpires and then the cars arrive. Those implicit bids get placed on all inventory units of any dealer using car offer and car groups. So what that means is a dealer who has 100 used cars in their lot can see in our dashboard, for instance, the wholesale offers sitting on each of their units, which is a pretty powerful, helpful thing for them to see when they're determining how to manage their inventory. So it's a pretty young business. It's probably about four and a half years old at this point. We acquired, the, as you said, the first 51% of it about two years ago and had a deal structure that would have transacted the balance of it next summer. We accelerated that to acquiring it. We announced that we signed it. We signed an agreement to close it in December a couple of weeks ago. The reason we acquired it is because we just see huge potential in tying together wholesale all the way through to retail from a transaction standpoint and a data standpoint and a technology standpoint. And I won't jump into it now, but I'm happy to, if you want me to, or we can come back to it. But like the power of having that all together is significant for dealers, especially, but it also helps consumers and it doesn't really exist anywhere. It resembles just, a, I think, an overall trend, which I've talked about the wholesale and retail blurring, the lines of wholesale and retail. It used to be that auctions were auctions, B2B, dealer to dealer, and then retail was retail. And it feels like the world we've entered is simply where there's just several major players where you know, the lines are being blurred and the marketplace is becoming more efficient where you just mentioned wholesale and, and retail can be one platform. And I can have a bid on, on any car every morning waiting for me it's up to me to accept it or, you know, to also, I can make a purchase that way. But that, to me, that seems to be like the way moving forward here, right? Where you're saying wholesale and retail are, are one major system and the dealers kind of work full funnel in that system. Yes, that, that is our thesis. And an example of that is that rather than a, a dealership saying, you know, making educated guesses on the types of cars that they should be sourcing. Instead, we can give them the intelligence soon that says, well, here are the retail demand or here are the retail trends in terms of demand and pricing and everything that's happening in the consumer. Here is your history as a dealership in terms of your success in selling different makes models, different types of cars. And here's what the wholesale trends are on all those dimensions right now. And therefore, we have a recommendation that says you should buy these five units because they will maximize your margin per unit and your turn time based on all the trends we're seeing in the value chain. And it's not going to be right 100% of the time. We can't predict the future, but it's going to be incredible intelligence that spans the entire value chain. So you already own 51% of this business. Why did you decide to exercise the rest of the purchase recently? Well, we, we were planning to anyway, so it's really just moving it up. The, a few reasons. One, we wanted to accelerate the, the, that type of product collaboration that I just talked about. We have, we've collaborated on a number of products, like our Instamax cash offer product is, is a collaboration. And, but we think there's huge upside. And so we want to do more of it and we want to be speedy with it. The second is is just having full ownership allows more operational alignment between businesses. And you know, in in the old construct, they had a, a transaction date that was a finish line, and they were you know understandably trying to optimize for that. And we're trying to build a business that is going to be you know multiples our size and be around for the next hundred years. And so alignment and operational alignment was the second reason. And then the third is we hired Zach Hollowell, who had previously run Open Lane and previously run Mannheim Digital. And he is now going to run Car Offer. And and so he he had started with us at Cargaroos and the opportunity to have him get in there sooner was, I think, appealing for for all sides. 
I want to take us in a bit of a different direction. Did you have a chance to see, I did an emergency podcast on uh, Hyundai and Amazon. Very splashy news in the industry. I'm really, really curious. So yeah, I mean, news came out a week ago or so. I brought Andrew Wright, who was the upcoming chair for the dealer council for Hyundai. I mean, he shared just great insight. He was at the LA Auto Show. He really got up close and personal with the decision makers here. And I'm really curious to hear your take on this. I mean, what does this mean for your type of business? For anyone that hasn't listened to this episode, it is a couple episodes before this, and you can you know see all about what Amazon and Hyundai put out there. But pretty much, it was a very splashy release that Amazon is going to start selling new cars online. Hyundai is the first partner. Dealers will still fulfill these sales. What's the first thing that goes through your head, first of all, where you see something like this? Where, you know, what are you thinking? Is this like a threat to your business? And I guess, secondly, what is your overall reaction after you kind of you know have a chance to really think through the implications for the car business, for your company, for dealers? What are your thoughts on this entire thing? It was splashy, maybe more splash than than I think people at first thought. Lots of sizzle, not much steak. Kind of right. I mean, we you know, Amazon and Hyundai had been working together before, and and it just was not had not gotten much press. And this is clearly an extension of that, but it's not a net new, totally new introduction. At any rate, my first reaction, honestly, is that it validates the consumer appetite to do more of the car purchase online. So to to me, it says, and look, we've, we've done a lot of research, so we have conviction in our own hypotheses, but this says that Amazon arguably has more resources and can do more research than we can, also believes that consumers are increasingly ready to do more of the transaction or maybe even all of the transaction online. So that was my first reaction. My second reaction is it's new car focused and we are principally a used car focused platform and we have both new and used inventory and, but most of the consumers on our platform are shopping for used cars. My next reaction was they also talked about how they have some capabilities, but don't have other capabilities. Yeah. What's up with that? How do you, how do you make that announcement? Is this just a lead generator? How can you do this without having like a trade-in platform, an FNI platform? Well, that's that. Yeah, I mean, well, so this takeaway that I was that I had was it proves that it's hard, right? And so we've been working on these these transaction capabilities for a few years now, and we know firsthand that it's hard to do. And so I think that was a little bit of confirmation that, and maybe an illustration for folks that. An online transaction is is anything but easy. And then I would say the final thought I had was curiosity around how they make this compelling for dealers. And I don't that's not me saying I don't think they can. That's me just not knowing the details of of what the value prop is. Because as we think about introducing new capabilities to dealers, I mean like the a number one thing we think about is ROI and like, why would a dealer want to do this? And we try to solve for that. And so that's just always top of mind for me. So I'm curious how they're looking at it. We call it, as I'm sure you've noticed one, the good old disc test. Does it sell cars? <laughs> yeah. The disc, the disc test. That's the dealership 101. You know, you have a marketing opportunity. Does it pass the disc test? Exactly. And, and yeah, can you make money on it? So so, but I think, you know, to, to sum, sum it all up, it was not, it felt incremental to us, but in a very positive way that says, yeah, the, the market is moving to doing more online and it's not going to be 50% tomorrow or even close, but having those capabilities we think are important for all dealers to have. And so as we build out some of our transaction capabilities for dealers, it's really about how do we make the one store or the three store or the regional dealer group ready to compete with the larger nationwide or virtual dealer groups in the realm of online digital retail. On the topic of dealership marketing, what do you think is, like if I'm a dealer listening right now, right? Like what, what changes for me when it comes to marketing over the next five years? Just marketing strategy, what do you think are the biggest shifts that are going to occur and for, for dealers in general? Well, I think transparency is just a theme that's been in the industry for the last, you know, eight 
years, 10 years, and will continue. So the more transparency, the better, which I think will eventually really prove to be a disservice to those dealers you talked about earlier who have this sort of hidden costs baked in. So that's one theme. I think another theme is dealers are realizing increasingly how buying smart is is critical. I think multi-touch attribution has got to get figured out. Explain it to me like I'm a third grader. <laughs> I feel like a third grader with it sometimes. So Same. It, it's, uh, <laughs> it's the fact that the average consumer spends you know 60 to 90 days shopping for a car. And in the course of that time, they will use Google and they will use Cardinals and they will use a dealer, several dealer sites, and they'll use, they'll go on Facebook for something else. And so how you attribute where that customer came from to you is a very difficult science. And it's not like, oh, well, the answer is, you know, X. It's like, no, the answer is that consumer went on a journey. And so the answer is a very complicated formula that has a narrative around it. So this isn't unique to auto, except auto has a much longer sales cycle than most other products. And so it's more pronounced in auto. And so we do a lot of that with our own audience building, but we also try to help dealers do that when we help them with attribution as well. And so I think back to your question, I think that's something that will have to make a lot of progress in order for dealers to have more confidence in knowing where to spend their money. You know, you mentioned transparency. That was the first thing. And I didn't want to cut you off because I wanted you to finish your three themes. And I couldn't agree more on that. I encourage dealers on just educate, right? I think that if you, you know, you create content and you educate, I think that's another form of transparency. It's not pricing transparency. But again, I go back to like, I get messages, DMs on social media all the time from people, hey, I want to buy a car from you. And they don't know me. I never told them, come buy a car from me, but it's because of the education. So I think on the, I think we've kind of, we've already crossed the chasm of transparency and pricing. Like if you're not transparent on pricing nowadays, you're already behind. That's obvious. And I feel like the next, the next wave will be education, which I think is, you know, it's, it's people want it. It's, it gets people, it gets people to trust you. And so I feel like that's another big uh, opportunity. When people ask me at least for like, hey, what's a way of like sweat equity, organic, how can I generate business? I say, educate, use your platforms, everything you're already doing, but like educate along the way. And it's not like, this isn't novel in the dealership setting, right? Like ask any used car dealer, right? They educate their their customer on their credit and whatnot. And that helps you build trust. But I think ultimately just, you know, doing that across kind of, online platforms and whatnot will go a very long way because because it just seems like we've entered that next phase where more and more content is just free. And that was not the case five years ago where you had a lot of gated stuff and also lack of information. So and, and I think my you cheap know, what, two cents. What we've found and has been proven, you know, again and again is the average consumer, most consumers aren't expecting or trying to get some magical bargain. They just want to get a fair enough deal and they want to feel good about the deal they got and feeling good about the deal they got. 80% of that is just simply understanding why they got the deal they got. Like even in, even when consumers are trading in their car or selling a car for cash, they may end up at a different price than what they thought they would. But if they understand why it's a different price, then the NPS scores that we measure with them, net promoter scores, are just as high as those who sold the car at the original price. So that's evidence to us that there's no right answer in a, in a total overall transaction. There's no right number, perfect number. But if both sides feel like, if the buyer and the seller feel like they understood the information and they got a fair enough deal, then everybody's happy. I, I guess when we wrap up, I mean, I'm curious to know how you think about the future of car gurus. I guess looking five years out, what does the company look like? What changed for, for car gurus, for dealers and consumers? You know, there are a lot of products and features, some of which I mentioned before, that we're just standing up now. Some of the transaction capabilities, some of the instant cash offer capabilities, some of the things we're doing at Car Offer. And we're standing them up now in kind of siloed ways, like they're not all, because there's so many are so new, they're not all fully tied together seamlessly. 
And five years from now, I'm confident, five years is a long time, I'm confident that they will be much more seamless and personalized and predictive for both consumers and dealers. So rather than saying, you know, today there's recommendation engines like, I see you're shopping for a car. Would you also like to sell a car? You know, just being much more in the moment, giving the options of car selling processes to put together a deal for a consumer. So that is, I think, going to be a big step forward in creating satisfaction for, again, both buyers and sellers. I think data tying wholesale all the way through to retail, like we talked about. So the days of of trying to guess what a dealer should do or a consumer should do, I think are going to be much more pinpointed. I I believe our brand will be much more ubiquitous. You know, the the auto market is a fairly crowded market, and many of the companies have the word car in them, and we're one of them. And so if you talk to most consumers, they're they'll they can name six companies that have car in them, but not necessarily understand the difference between them. So I think we're gonna become much more ubiquitous as a brand because buyers and sellers will be using us for so much more and, and will hopefully be bringing this seamless uh, experience. And and then I think that we're going to have transaction capabilities that solve for more and more corner cases. Like, you know, as well as anyone, deals can get very complicated if there's existing loan or they need new financing or a you know tough credit score or there's a tough trade-in. And so there are very few just middle of the fairway deals. And where a lot of where we're starting and a lot of folks are starting with digital retail is middle of the fairway. And so I think five years from now, I'm confident we'll have expanded out to handle most types of transactions needed. Jason Travis, and thanks so much for coming on. If if anyone wants to get in touch with you, obviously they can go to carcruise.com. Any any other ways to get in contact with you? They can hit me up on LinkedIn. Let's do it. Jason, thanks so much for coming on. This was great. Thank you very much. Great to be here. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please give the podcast a rating. Consider subscribing to the show and check the show notes for links to what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.